see so many different things in here, but I want us to just keep in mind the absolute big picture of what is being conveyed here in Psalm 103. I love the study of the Psalms because it also shows so much of the human condition, the human emotion, the, the personality here on the part of David as you see him kind of wrestling in this way. And we'll go into this here in a minute. And, and what an incredible song to lead here into this psalm. But I want to start off this morning here with a little bit of honesty. Okay, that, That's generally assumed, but we're just going to take a second and be very, very honest with each other. Um, we often have to convince ourselves or talk ourselves into doing things that are good for us, don't we? Um, such as working out and exercise in some kind of way. Some, we really have to talk ourselves into it, unless you're one of those really weird people who likes to run. Anybody here say, I love running? Just to run for no reason? Yeah, that's... That, you know what? I know you guys. That makes sense. Yeah. No, the, the idea of just running to run absolutely baffles me. Like, I'll run around for hours if there's a purpose behind it, whether, especially if it's something um, sports-related or just chasing kids or whatever, which I've noticed kids don't ever get tired, by the way. Like, if you're under, like 13 or under, you've never been tired a day in your life. It's Im impressive. But we have to talk ourselves into doing it. There's, it's not a normal thing for people to just want to exercise all the time. It's not a, a normal thing for people to deny themselves the extra piece of cake at the senior luau. Right? Right? I'm speaking because I was there. All right? It, it's hard to do. We have to talk ourselves into the fact of something good for us. Hey, you've had enough. Sit back a little bit. Don't. Do that. Like, abstain. You have to talk yourself into this. Same idea with, with setting a budget for your, for your home, for your family, for whatever the situation may be as an organization. Setting a budget. You have to convince yourself. You have to talk yourself in to being disciplined in this way. Because isn't it so much easier to go, wow, this is on sale, and I could really use that. Whatever it is, I don't even know, but it's on sale, and I could use it. So often, this is what happens. I mean, it's, it's the idea of whenever we go shopping with our children. Benji doesn't even, we just took Benji school shopping, school supplies shopping, yesterday at Target. He wants everything, right? He sees it. He has no idea anything about money or how a lot of that works. You try to explain it to him. He doesn't really understand. But he just wants everything. And he even says, I don't know what it is, but I want this. Maddie is the exact same way. But you have to talk yourself into doing things that are good for us. Again, budgeting. That's a very good thing for us to do, to be wise and be good stewards of what we have. We have to convince ourselves to repeatedly be disciplined in that. Same thing with food. Same thing with exercise. Whatever the situation is, we are not really good at naturally doing the things that are good for us. And in the same way... We have to convince ourselves at times. We have to be reminded. We have to talk ourselves into once again remembering and believing those things that we know to be true. And notice this, even when we don't always feel like it. Because this morning we're going to see as David is writing this psalm, talking about who God is, the reminder and leading in from the incredible song that David and Christina just went through. Our God is so worthy of our praise, even those days that we do not really feel like giving Him praise. Maybe even some of you this morning, you're coming into church this morning, and you're coming in, you're singing songs, and you're, you're kind of singing the song, but you don't like have any real 
joy with it. Maybe there, it just doesn't, you don't feel like giving honor and praise to God this morning. Or maybe for some of you, it, you wake up and maybe also some of you are, how many of you raise your best show of hands are morning people? You wake up, boom, let's get going. Okay, less than half of you. Okay, so not too many. That makes sense. It's good that we're moving our service to later, I guess. Right? But so many people, we wake up and it's not just springing up out of bed and saying, whoo, going to praise the Lord today, going to worship and I'll do all these things. That's not the first thing. If you're like me, it's, ooh, where's that snooze? Right? And if you're Brittany, it's where's the snooze 17 times before I wake up. It's all right. We have a nursing infant. She, she's, uh, she's due that courtesy. But so often, we don't just wake up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, really excited to just attack the day with great enthusiasm because we're tired. And we say, you know, we're not sanctified that morning until the coffee comes, right? Yeah, amen's all around this area there. Thank you for the honesty, right? That's what we need. We don't just wake up and always feel like we want to just give all the glory in the world to God. Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, we need to be reminded because at times we forget these things. And so here in our text of Psalm 103, David is going through these emotions. He even in the previous psalm, right, the the heading here in the Bible of Psalm 102, the one that my Bible has, it's called the lonely soul. But you look in those first 11 verses, this is human emotion, human condition, all of these things that he is going through and struggling with. But he, he feels apart from God. He feels alone. He, he's in despair. You, you see incredible imagery that he's saying in just even uh, verses 3 and 4. For my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as an hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. This is not a attaboy, go get him kind of thing that he's going through here. He is not incredibly overwhelmed with joy as he's writing this. But if you finish out through Psalm 102, read through all of Psalm 103, and then you start to see this continuation into 104, into 105. There is a progression because he is reminding himself of who God is. So the way that he is viewing these emotions, all of these things, is completely changing. But I think it's important, and even just for me of being honest, that Every morning, it, it's not an incredibly easy thing to just wake up joyous about all the things that I do know to be true. We have to remind ourselves sometimes. Especially if you have younger children who are not behaving well in the morning. Especially if you're having car issues on your way to work or wherever it is that you're going to go. F- fill in any circumstance that you may have. At times, it is very difficult to wake up, be aware, and endure certain circumstances and simply rejoice in all the things that we know are actually true. Because we get so focused on circumstance. And here, David is set on his circumstance. He is, he's in a time where he is now encouraging his soul to get in line with his head of what he knows to be true. This is why he's writing in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is essentially, wake up, soul. Wake up. Because right now, you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is him wanting to praise his Lord with his soul, but he's having to stir it up in himself first. And this isn't simply just this cold attitude of, I know I have to do this, so I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. Like, he's troubled by his condition. He's troubled by these things, and he knows 
because of what he knows that he needs to be praising his Lord and his God. So he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This is not just bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's kind of around at a certain time, or these certain parts of me that want to praise God, and compartmentalizing these things. This language of all is the complete and all-encompassing part of a person. Your whole being. And it's so important that we understand this, because so often, in so many different circumstances, church, Bible study, scripture reading, prayer, all of these things are compartmentalized to what day of the week? Just to a Sunday. Where these, the only time that we have any regular communion with the Lord, whether it's through His Word or through prayer or any other circumstance, is simply on a Sunday. And this would logically follow out, well, how, how, good, how much in shape are you going to be if you only worked out one day a week? And the other six days, you're just filling, filling yourself with cake and other delicious, delicious things. I'm really on. We made a cake last night, so that's why cake's in the forefront of my mind. Um, I didn't have any, though. Yeah, right. Tested out the illustration the night before. But think about it. If you only worked out on Sunday, let's say Sunday, we all, every single one of us here, we're big health enthusiasts, right? We want to be in the best shape we could ever be in. Because we want to be as, um, as fit as possible. We want to be as good as we could possibly be. So I'm going to work out on Sundays. And that's it. How's that going to work out? I'm seeing heads. I don't hear heads. Not too good. Thank you, Robin. Not very well. Unless we just have a lot of people here that don't know how exercise works. And we're like, might work. No, it's not going to work out well. You can't just exercise one day a week. Have the other six days countering everything that it is that you've been doing on that one day. It is not going to go well. Here he's reminding himself, stirring up within him soul. This is his soul. This is sort of a, a self-talk of, okay, soul, get in line, because you're, you're not really at where you're supposed to be right now. He says, and all that is within me. This is not just this sort of passive, soul, if you would like to, to praise God, that would be awesome. This isn't a, if it's convenient on this day. This is all of his being is crying out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is all of him. And what do we see in Romans 12? You're to present your body as a living sacrifice. That's your whole person. This is all of who you are. It is not just the part of you that's on a Sunday. It's not just the part of you that's public. It's not just the part of you fill in the blank. This is every single part of you presented for his purpose being available for his service in any circumstance. And by the way, it's incredibly important that in this, as we offer ourselves to him completely and fully, all that is within us, that we are absolutely focused on being obedient in this. I think a lot of times we, get, um, we can get too down and say, well, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't know, what, I don't know if I have any gifts. Or I, don't, I don't know. God just hasn't really given me anything to use which is an incredible slap in the face to say that God has given you absolutely nothing. Secondly, I, I don't care how good of a speaker, how good of a server, how good of a builder, whatever the case may be, in certain areas that you're gifted in, and if that's what you want to do, but if God calls you to be a janitor, you better be a janitor. It does not matter that you have skills, all of these other things. If he has called you to a specific purpose, that is where you will honor and glorify him through your obedience 
and through your service to him. So here, bless the Lord, O my soul. Soul, soul be stirred up because of what you know is true and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he moves into verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Wow, we could spend so much time here in verse 2. We're going to spend a few minutes. Forget not all his benefits. He's going to go on and he's going to explain what these different benefits are. He's going to walk through it. Because why? He needs to remember it for himself. There may have been times in each and every one of our lives where we know the Lord, we love him, but there's certain days, hours, seasons, whatever the case may be, we just don't actually feel like it all the time. Where we're saying, I just really feel distant from the Lord right now, and I'm trying, and I, just, I don't know what to do. I try to just keep reading. I, just, I, I try to keep doing all these different things. But we're in seasons where we are forgetting all his benefits. Verse 2 right here is essentially a picture of, of the Old Testament with Israel. How frequently they had forgotten what God had done for them. If you remember, they've been delivered out of Egypt, the thing that they had longed for for so long. As they're being chased by Pharaoh and the armies, they, they come up to the sea. Oh, well, we're going to die here. Thanks for nothing, God. Thanks for nothing, Moses. Oh, wait, now that sea is moving. This is awkward. Right? They get across the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army, they still try to come into, to chase after them, and yet they're overcome and, and they're defeated there. So much so that now as they continue to wander in the wilderness, you remember as they were prone to doing, and just as we are prone to doing, murmuring, complaining, because not everything is as perfect as we wanted it to be. So they're, they're walking around. The Lord is providing food from heaven for them. And they're like, oh, well, at least back when we were slaves, we had all the good food. We had these other things. They had already forgotten that they were delivered. They had forgotten the way that the Lord preserved them and carried them through all these circumstances. And now here they are, Arriving to the promised land, they're, they're going in, they're looking around going, okay, this is, the, this is the land that the Lord has promised for us to inhabit. Okay, yeah, you know, God, that, that land is really good. It's awesome. But I don't know if you know this, those people in there are big. This kind of like a military fortress in here. These people are big, and I know that you promised it to us, but I, we're, we're afraid. We don't really have any trust right now. As if a couple, some people that were big was more than what they had just been delivered from in Egypt, bigger than parting of, of the sea, bigger than Pharaoh and the armies, all of these things that had taken place, they had already forgotten each step of the way. Why? Because that's what we do as people, right? Well, yeah, I mentioned it earlier, like we are really good at forgetting things and not just the things that we want to. Things we want to forget, we often struggle to forget. But the things that we think we deserve or that are just, eh, they're not important to us, pass away. And this is what he, he's reminding himself here. Do not forget all of his benefits. And is there any benefit in anything attached to anything other than Christ, to anything other than God? There is nothing. No benefits in anything else. Uh, through the whole study of Colossians, we should at least be at that conclusion here. So why is it that we are to bless the Lord? Why is David writing this through inspiration of the Spirit? Why is it to bless the Lord? Is it just because we're supposed to? Why, why do we praise God? Just because we're supposed to do it? There is the aspect that, yes, we are to obey and to give Him praise, but 
My question this morning, do you delight in praising your Lord and your God? Do you truly delight in doing so? This should not be a cold, hard doctrine of, okay, I know from the beginning I'm supposed to praise God, so I'm just going to do it. It is such a delight to be able to offer up praises to the one who has made the entire world and all that we see, who has offered us redemption. So why here is he, is he in this place? Why is he having to revive his soul and asking that it be stirred up again, that he would praise the Lord, that he would not forget his benefits? Why didn't David just run to the temple, just run along and go offer up some sacrifices? Why wouldn't he just run off and do that? Well, I know I'm supposed to sacrifice, so I should just go ahead and do this. I'm going to read two different verses here. We're going to read from another psalm of David, Psalm 51. He makes it clear. Verses 10 through 12, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Here for David, and as all of Scripture is showing, it is not just sacrifice for the purpose of sacrifice. It is to be done with the clean heart for the, and, and understanding the joy of salvation, all of these things. Um, Isaiah is quoted here by Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 8, discussing with the Pharisees and the scribes, ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Again, there, you guys aren't following the traditions that we have. Why is this? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. Jesus makes it very, very clear in this conversation with him when he said, why aren't you guys washing your hands? Why aren't you following all these ceremonial things? And he says, well, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament scriptures here. Just like Isaiah said, they praise me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He has no desire for ritual and ceremony for the sake of ritual and ceremony. So much of Scripture, Old and New Testament, testifies to this, which is why David here is not focusing on, okay, my soul doesn't, I'm not stirred up. I don't really want to praise God. I know what I can do. I'm going to go offer sacrifice, and I'm going to be, that's going to make me right with God, and my heart is going to be stirred up. No. Absolutely not. What does he do instead? He reminds himself who God is, what he's done, and he doesn't forget his benefits. Here in verse 3, he starts the list. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Here, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and it's not quite there, so now I'm going to remember what God has done. Who God is, because guess what? This life is not all it's supposed to be. It's not nearly as good as what people try to sell us on all the time. Bad things happen. We struggle. There's sin. There's death. There's all of these things here. 
and he's down. He's going through these human emotions. He's struggling in a very real sense, ways that all of us have been in. Regardless of the situation, we look at circumstances that aren't the way that we would want them to be, and we say, God, this is not okay. I don't know how to deal with this. And he's wrestling with these emotions, but he knows to praise God for who he is, and then he reminds himself of it. How important is it that we remind ourselves who God is? These things, again, if Israel had already forgotten these extraordinary things that had just happened behind them, why would we think that we're going to constantly be in remembrance of these things? It is absolutely critical each and every day we remind ourselves of the gospel, the joy of the salvation that we have received, all that God has done and all that he is. So here, verse 3, he forgives all thine iniquities. Praise God for that. He forgives them. How? In a small sense? In a temporary sense? Is it incomplete? Is the forgiveness of sins kind of a, a sort of, kind of, maybe proposition? Or is it complete and total? It is absolutely complete. All the sins forgiven. And then here, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. People get hung up here in, in some of these verses when, when it's healing and say, well, if God wants to truly receive um, glory, then he has to heal every sickness, every infirmity, every, every little situation that goes on. Now, is it wonderful? Is it beautiful? Does it show God's glory when a person is healed? Absolutely. But what do we know, I think, from John chapter 9 of, the, of the, the man who was born blind? Why was he born blind? So that the glory of God could be shown through him? There is still the glory of God in the sickness, in the blindness, in these things. To limit it just to our benefit for his glory, that is not an equation that we see anywhere in Scripture. In the same way that there is incredible glory of a missionary who goes out and thousands of souls just through preaching and hearing of the word come to faith. In the same way, many of you are familiar, someone like a missionary like Jim Elliott who gets to where he's going to be a missionary, who's going to preach, who's going to serve the Lord, and he's ruthlessly killed. There is still glory in that. If you, we're not, I don't want to give any sense of kind of weighing to things. I don't totally feel comfortable doing that. But there is an immense amount of glory even in our suffering and our pain and our death and our sickness that goes to God. It's not just through healing or just through profit. And he says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. What an incredible reminder for each and every one of us who know the Lord this morning to remember. He has redeemed your life from the pit or from destruction. Do you remember where you were destined? Do you remember the eternal consequences of the sinful person that we are, our sinful condition? He, re who he redeems our life from destruction. And this has the idea of from the pit. This is not being redeemed from the penthouse or from the great, this incredible place and we're substituting something good for something just a little bit better. This is taken out of death and moved into life. This is from the pit into a heavenly place. He's reminding himself of his salvation here, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Here David is starting to work himself into an understanding of all that the Lord has already done, not just for him, but for all of those who have believed in him. And then we start to see a little bit more of his character here of the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. 
he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. I absolutely love this psalm because it is such an incredible picture of who our Lord is. He executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Here we see quite clearly that the Lord is righteous. He is just. He is a just judge, which in a world full of fallen men, I think we can absolutely rejoice in. That we don't have truly just judges and individuals here in this time. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. He remembers that God has revealed himself to Moses through the way that he's displayed his acts to Israel. That God is a God who has revealed himself. He hasn't withdrawn from the world. He is not absent from the world. He's not, it's not this um, deist mindset that the Lord uh, made the earth, set it, spun the clock up, wound everything up, and is just watching everything go. But he is actually involved. He, he's present. I mean, this is, he's reminding himself of these things and that the Lord has revealed himself to Moses and to the children of Israel through his acts. And why has he done these things? Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. God is mercy. He is grace. Now, do I completely understand all the inner workings of each of these things? I never will. But we know that he is. We know that he, he gives mercy. We know that he, he offers grace. We know that he is these things, that salvation is by grace through faith. We know that he is merciful because of what we see in verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's how we know our God is merciful, because he does not deal with us the way that he ought to deal with us, the way that we deserve. And what's so beautiful about seeing this comparison of mercy and grace is not only do you not receive the just punishment that you've accrued, but now you receive something far greater. This isn't just removal of punishment. Good, I'm back to neutral. It is now crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. All of these things that are taking place here, you receive by his grace these benefits. You receive him. It's funny when we talk about what it is that you receive at salvation and we talk about all these different things and, and we do the list and, and often for, forgotten is, what do you receive? You receive Him. Like you, you have Him. He is now the prized possession. Everything else falls under that, but He is our reward. He is our prize. So He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. And His mercy is plenty. And again with verse 10, he's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I am incredibly thankful that God does not deal in a sense of fairness. Man, fairness would be absolutely horrible for us. And I don't think we always remember that. And I'm thankful that he does not deal with us after our sins and rewarding us according to this. How incredibly large that punishment would be, how frequent these punishments would be. But because of his mercy and because of his grace, because of what we saw in verse 3, who forgives all thine iniquities. This is David, a person who knows the Lord, saying, I know that my sins have been forgiven, and the Lord does not deal with me as though I am a sinner, 
but being crowned with the loving kindness and tender mercies and the execution of his righteousness, he understands that he has been forgiven of these things. Well now, but to what extent? And he's going to enter into this here in verse 11 and 12. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions from us. Here David is, is absolutely illustrating the greatness of our salvation, the greatness of our God and his mercy and his love. What is higher than the heavens? Many years ago, a couple hundred years ago, it would have been, well, if I, we could ever get above the clouds, we'll be in the heavens. How many of you have ever been on a plane above the clouds? Is it heaven up there? No. One, because you're in a plane. No one wants to be in a plane. It's horrible. It's small. There's never leg room in there. Right, Don? <laughs> Thank you. Right, get, get, get some amens there. You guys, small people. Right? This understanding of, wow, we've never been above the clouds. Heaven must be up there. You get above the clouds and you go, wow, still a whole lot more and I have no clue what it is. And now with all the telescopes, all the things that we can see into space, have we seen heaven yet? No. You're not going to. Far as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. He's simply saying it's greater than you can ever imagine. This is the greatest illustration that he could ever give. And this isn't a hyperbole of any sort. This isn't exaggeration. This is quite simply, it's so great. It's infinitely great, his love and his mercy. And then in verse 12, we have this vertical relationship here. As far as the east is from the west... So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How far away is the east from the west? Infinitely far away. You don't ever just arrive at east and you're done. Or, hey, I've arrived at west. This is infinitely far away. These things have been infinitely removed. This is not as if they've simply been placed in a jar where, okay, I know that you've been redeemed by the blood of my son and that you, you've received salvation, but I'm going to take your sins, I'm going to put them just over here, and when you're acting up again, I'm going to show you the jar of your sins. Now, you're forgiven of it, but I just want to remind you of those things. I want you to remember that at any time, if I wanted to, it's completely removed. And this is where we have to be so careful in our, in our language and our understanding when we're talking about how much have we been forgiven of? Is it just of some of our sins? Is it just the pre-salvation sins? Is it as long as there's none that come in the future? Those have been completely and totally forgiven by the blood of his cross for those who are in Christ. This is not going to be a, well, he was forgiven, but then he messed up again. Now we've got to redo everything all over again, as if Christ has to then die once again. Did it once, for all time. Perfect sacrifice. It's over. It's done. Complete. Then he continues to go on again, the character of God using this, this image here of a father. Like, like as a father pitieth his children, or has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion or pitieth them that fear him. This fear is this understanding of awe, of reverence, of submission. But yet also, those that do not have a fear of the Lord have great reason to be afraid, have great reason to be troubled, to, to be very uncomfortable because of what we know to be true. Again, he is a just judge and therefore cannot allow unforgiven sin to just simply be 
passed away. It has to be judged. There's going to be punishment for this. But as a father has compassion on his child, this is the understanding that many of you, if you were helping a child for the first time, learning how to ride a bike, and they're riding the bike, and you, you get that courage in that one moment to let go, which as a parent is really hard to do for, for me. Some of you are like, yeah, just get out there, rolling them downhill. But now imagine the child, you know, they do good for a couple seconds, like two seconds, because the balance you've pushed them out on is carrying them. And then all of a sudden, they're actually on their own. What happens? First time, boom, they're down. How many of you in that situation, I'm not going to say laughed because I get it. I chuckle. It's a little funny. But would just sit there and say, come on, kid, get up. And you're yelling at the kid. And because they've made what seems to be an error or, or this, this mistake that you're just going to sit there and yell at them and ridicule and judge them. No, you're going to go over there. And you're going to help them up. Right? That's the image here of the compassion. And we see constantly in the Gospels of Christ having compassion upon people. And I absolutely love these next couple verses, which I think I've said about all of them, but there you go. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. I am so thankful for the imagery that the Psalms produce here. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are as dust. I mean, this is incredible. The Lord remembers who we are. He looks down upon us having compassion for us because he sees our frame. He sees our condition. This is not reflective of our value to him or our worth, but simply it is reflective of our weakness. We are weak. Humanity is weak. Because of our sin. Our, our sinfulness has made us weak. And here, he looks down upon us. He's, he has compassion on us because he sees us as we are, which is as dust and grass. What do you guys, how many of you guys just love dust? It's not a very glorious thing, right? Yes. <laughs> right? One of us loves dust. That's incredible. He'll come dust all of your house. Maybe. I know no one dusts their house that much anymore, right? Yeah, there you go. Dust is not a very glorious thing. This isn't something that's like, you know, I collect, well, we all collect dust, but no one does it intentionally, right? The dusting is the thing that we do when our family comes to visit, and then we always realize when we're throwing our kids up in the air that our ceiling fan has a ton of dust on it, which I need to do that. But dust is not a very glorious thing. This isn't something that people love. It's not a prized possession. I don't think any of you take great pride and have great value in your dust. But he remembers that we are dust. What is it? It's light. It just kind of falls down. It's just kind of there. It's weak. It doesn't do anything. It's not significant in these ways. It's, I don't know why I'm explaining dust. You guys all know what dust is. It's dust, right? It's not a glorious thing. If that's not good enough for you, as for man, his days are as grass. Grass is not very permanent. It lasts longer than some, depending on who's maintaining it. But grass is not a very permanent thing here. It, it, it grows up, but guess what? It also goes away. And here he's, he's using this illustration as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth it. Look, man is like flowers. They're growing up, and look at it. It looks wonderful. That's a beautiful flower, and look at the strength of it. Oh, here come the wind. Boom, there it is. Gone. 
the flower never to be remembered again, that the place where the flower inhabited doesn't even remember the flower anymore. Our days are not only numbered, but they're passing on. Our days are fleeting. Our days are as grass, and we are like dust. The wind passes over, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Now remember that in light of what he says in verse 4. Even still, he redeems our life from destruction or from out of death, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Do you crown your dust? Do you crown your grass? I don't think you do. If you say yes, just stop. But this is what it is that he's saying. He's reminding himself, I am dust, I am grass, this is what man is, but even still, this is what the Lord has done for dust and grass like us who love him and who fear him. And it produces nothing other than thankfulness. Why? Because he knows who he is. This is not someone walking around saying, well, I deserve to be crowned with his loving kindness and tender mercies. Absolutely. Why wouldn't he want to crown me? This is understanding, wow, I'm that dust that nobody likes, no one wants. It's, I'm weak. It just kind of floats around. But even still, because of all that he's already laid out, this is what the Lord has done, and this is who he is. Notice the contrast of the things that are withering. Verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. We are fading away, but the Lord, everlasting to everlasting. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. This is not a flower that goes away. This is not dust that just floats around and goes wherever it may want to go. This is everlasting, forever, upon those that fear him, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. And the incredible joy of the covenant that we have received through salvation is that Christ is the one who has fulfilled all, all the parts of it. It is fulfilled in Christ. Our, our role is to worship him, to serve him, to obey him. I, I mean, this is what he's rejoicing in, is the, this understanding of, man, this has already been, this co the covenant has already been fulfilled. The work of Christ has already covered so much of these things. And as he's reminding himself of these things that I think so often we also need to do. Remember, he wasn't really exactly feeling it, paraphrase, at the beginning here. He was trying to stir himself up and to remember it. So how does he do this? How does he change? How does he once again remember all of these things, he goes back and recounts what God has done and who he is. And this is now promoting a spirit of worship among him to where he now realizes who the Lord is. And when you've seen who the Lord is, it is so difficult to simply turn away if you love him. Verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Incredible picture here of the dominion that the Lord has. God is completely and totally sovereign over everything. Why? Because he's on his throne in the heavens, his kingdom is all. He is over everything. He is completely and totally sovereign. He is completely and totally in control in everything. Circumstances come up and we say, well, where is God in this? Same place he's always been. Same place he always has been. 
If, when we wonder, why do I feel so distant from God? Has God withdrawn from me? Uh, the believer who says, I feel like I'm not, so, I'm not close to God anymore. I feel detached in this way. Do you think that God has truly moved away from you? Does God, has he moved away from his people? Has God changed who he is? Or are we the one who is in error? And I know some people can get caught up on the sovereignty of God and say, well, what about in this? What about in this? What about in this? My answer to that is yes. But also, there's, the only times we have an issue with sovereignty is if we don't really trust or like the person who has the sovereignty, right? Why would we struggle with the sovereignty of God? We know who his character is. We know all that he is, all that he's promised to be. Why would we ever want anything else? Who is more trustworthy to be sovereign in all things than God? I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be any one of you. No offense. We only struggle with sovereignty if we don't trust the person. This is why in governments we don't like one person being completely and totally in control of each and everything. The old adage, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Completely true. It's a very biblical concept. We don't like it because we know, I don't think I can trust that guy because he's a guy. He's a man. He's fallen. But there is nothing more comforting personally in my life than knowing that God is sovereign over all of his creation and over everything. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, yet ministers of of his that do his pleasure. Here he moves it from individual. He's been making it more of a corporate thing. And now you can see this picking up to where he's, he's encouraged. He knows who God is. His heart continues to be stirred up. His soul is now aligned with who God is. And now he doesn't want to just be him praising God. It's angels join in. All the hosts join in. Ministers that do his pleasure. Everybody else. This is all encompassing yet again, completely and totally. And then in verse 13, bless the Lord, all his works, and this is in creation, and all places of his dominion. And then he closes it the way that he started it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you just look ahead at how he starts off, Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. I mean, this is an incredible theme of, Lord, I want to praise you. Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. And this incredible reminder throughout this psalm of the need to remind ourselves who God is constantly. Now, is this just when we feel down and we just, we're struggling a little bit? Absolutely not. Again, when things are great, remember who God is. When things are absolutely terrible, Don't turn away and say, well, this is unfair. God's dealing unjustly with me. Remember who he is because so quickly we have forgotten things. We are very, very good at forgetting what the Lord has done. And it's so encouraging that even just going through this psalm, seeing this continued concept of, man, when your soul is down, how do we change it? So what do I do with this? We... Remember who he is. means we have to know his attributes. We have to know what he's done. means we have to know our Bibles. All the Bible is a testament to who God is. It's showing the evidence of this. 
This is, that's why faith is not just some blind understanding of, well, I just have this weird feeling inside, so I know I can believe that there's a God just because I want there to be. I mean, this is an entire record testifying to the fact that God is who he says he is. This is why we know it, to know him. So that when these things do come, when our soul is troubled, because there will be times that it is, we look back and we remember who he is. We remember all of his benefits. That he's forgiven us of our iniquities. That he's redeemed us from destruction into life. That he has revealed himself to us through his word and through creation and through his spirit. That he is merciful and that he is gracious and slow to anger and full of mercy. He doesn't deal with us after our sins. The heaven is high above the earth just like his mercy is great towards those that fear him. He has removed our transgressions, not just taken them away for a time, but he's removed them as far away as possible. That he has compassion upon us. And that even though we forget things, notice he remembers our frame. He has not forgotten that we are weak. But he has compassion upon us in our weakness. He understands that our days are like grass, and that we're flowers of the field, and that we're dust. These things are going to pass through. But yet his mercy is everlasting. All of these things show us who God is. And these are the things that we need to constantly be reminded of, the constant reminder of the gospel, of the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Because when situations come and our soul is troubled, we have to then rely back upon the one that we know has never changed, the immutable God who has made all things, who has offered redemption, moving us from death into life through the blood of the cross of his Son. And so here now at the close of this time, I'm just going to ask as we're moving into... Um, rejoicing in all of these facts, that this is who God is and that he has done these things throughout all of history, that he's promised these things, that he has promised salvation for those who, who receive him by grace through faith, who, who receive his mercy, all of these things that we know to be true. And again, in the previous psalm of rejoicing in how great a salvation that we have received, this is what we are now going to celebrate as the church, as the body of Christ and understanding what it is that Christ has done for us on the cross, that his atonement for our sins is what has brought us redemption. So this time I'm going to ask the men 